for the things he said. Some of the things were a perfect uh, segue into what we're going to speak to you about. Of course, if you were not here for that, then you will not receive the benefit of the agreement that is in the spirit concerning the word. But I thought something a moment ago, and I, I know you're standing, just give me a moment, but I believe that there's somebody here that God wants to uh, empower you to the degree that when you walk into the office tomorrow morning, you will walk in with a different countenance. You will walk in with a different attitude. You will walk in with a different spirit. Amen. Because God is going to give you an anointing. And when you walk in, every devil will hide. Every devil will flee. Every demon will retreat. Not because of you or your name or your pedigree, but because of your God. I think it's going down, cowing down to the ungodly spirits and ungodly people of this world. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with an uh, excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear, and in much trembling. Would, would you please hear this preacher when I tell you that God does not want us to receive or accept a spirit of fear. However, if anybody can look out at this world and see what's going on and not feel a little bit of anxiety, you are dead. Paul the apostle said, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Everybody say power. power. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. God bless you. you. may be seated. If this place is not anointed and sanctified by now, then it's not going to happen today. I want to talk to you today about something that the Lord spoke to me months ago, probably back in the spring. His exact words were the power of perpetual pursuit. And ever since that day that I made note of those words, I have been unpacking what it means that the Lord spoke to me. I have been unraveling the, the precept and the principle of what it means concerning the power of perpetual pursuit. I am not finished with that. I'm not done unraveling and unpacking these things. 
because I think that it will continue for some time. Perhaps I am uh, difficult for God to give instruction to. I'm a slow learner or for whatever reason. But I believe there is much more to this than what you are going to hear today. And, and of all of the copious notes that I have made over the past five months. But we're going to be talking to you about a principle that involves both and pursuit. Now, I know the word power excites us. The word pursuit, not so much. The word power gets us revved up. The word pursuit, I don't know so much about that. But we're going to intricately connect the power of God and pursuit in one principle and precept. The power of God is unquestionably God's power. But the pursuit is your pursuit. God comes to the equation, into the relationship. He brings something with him. He brings his power. But he comes to us with some expectation about us. We have to be in pursuit of God if he is going to reveal his power. Now that is the message in a nutshell. Without our pursuit, there is no power. With this in mind, Paul admonished the believers in Corinth to not base their faith on the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Some of you are, are really wondering about the state of affairs right now. Yes, my brother. I would call you elder, but I'm just a little older than you. Yes, everything is upside down. Yes, the left and right has reversed. The poles of the earth are even reversing if you've studied science recently. A phenomenon hasn't happened in a long, long time. But why are things in such a state of affairs? The Lord dealt with me when, when we were gone about John saying on the Isle of Patmos that the spirit of Antichrist is already in the world. But then God reminded me, no, it's not just in the world in John's day. It was in the garden with Adam and Eve. Because when the serpent convinced Eve to eat of the fruit, what did he do? It was the spirit of anti-truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You are looking at right now in this world a complete and total reversal of truth. That which is evil they call good. That which is good they call evil. What are we witnessing? No, it's not going to change with the next election. Politics is not going to override it because this is not about politics. It's about the spirit of Antichrist that is going to completely consume every mind in this world. It is happening before our eyes, it's happening to our families. I hear apostolics that are falling in line with the spirit of Antichrist. And if anything bothers me, that bothers me. You are the one with the truth. Don't listen to your sons and your daughters and your aunts and your uncles and your moms and your dads and your relatives and friends and co-workers and neighbors who do not know this truth. 
Don't let them tell you how to think. Don't let them tell you how to vote. Don't let them tell you what is true and what is not true, what is right and what is not right. It's you that ought to be telling them. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon in Judges chapter 6, he said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Gideon did not hesitate. Uh, Peter was a lot like Gideon. He, he, he spoke before he thought, and Gideon did the same thing. And so he asked this angel of the Lord two questions. Oh, my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? Question number two, and where, by the way, filling in the lines here, paraphrasing, where be all his miracles which our fathers told us of. Let me tell you, that qualified him for a very long and lengthy Bible study on the history of Israel and how they got to where they were. But God did not give Gideon a history lesson. But I'm reasonably sure that many of God's people are asking very similar questions today. Apostolics are acutely familiar. I think our little, we have some babies in the church. It wouldn't surprise me if they're quoting this before they even start talking. Acts 1 and 8. And ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. I know there's more to it than that. But I want to talk about the power. Because some of you are wondering. If I was to receive such power, such dunamis, dynamite, supernatural power, why don't I have it? Why don't I feel it? Why don't I demonstrate it? Where is the power that you all promised me that I would have when I received the Holy Ghost? Why do I go to work afraid every day? Why do I go out of my house scared every day? Why am I afraid to listen to the news? Where is this power? Say, oh, Bishop, you just backed yourself into a corner. I beg to differ with you because I'm going to tell you where that power is. Just prior to his ascension, Jesus told his disciples, Luke 24, 49, Behold, I send of my Father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem. How long, Lord? Until, until ye be endued with power from on high. The inference here is that those who would receive the promise of the Holy Ghost would be clothed upon with a power from on high or they would be clothed upon with supernatural and divine power that comes directly from God himself. 
Wasn't it John the Baptist that said, He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. That fire, that Holy Ghost, and that power, that clothing with which you will be covered will come directly from Jesus Christ. If anybody gets the Holy Ghost, it's because Jesus was there to baptize them with the Holy Ghost. The power that we're preaching about is absolutely essential in order for a believer to live a victorious and an overcoming life. But this power must also be present and active within the corporate body of Christ in order for the church to effectively reach their world. In order for the church, the church that they need to be, that God wants them to be in this hour. So many of God's people, unfortunately, believe that the extent of this power is in their ability to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance. But if that were true, if that's all there was to the manifestation and to the dimension of God's power, then why are so many Christians suffering from fear? Why are so many of God's people suffering from defeat and discouragement and battling depression if that power, all it was, was to be manifested when you talked in tongues? Then why are so many of God's people suffering? Of course, it's not true. If you don't believe me, try casting the devil out speaking in other tongues. The devil will sit there and stare you down. No, you're going to get him out when you take authority over him in the name of Jesus Christ. In whatever language you speak, speak it to that spirit. So the question is, how do we tap into this power that we have received? How do we employ the power that has been given us, promised us, through the indwelling of God's Spirit? The power of which we speak is manifest, it is employed, and it is perpetuated through at least three Dynamic spiritual venues. About a month after God spoke to me the, about the power of perpetual pursuit, he spoke words into my soul again. And he spoke the power of perpetual praise. Oh, my gosh, this thing's exploding in my spirit. Spirit. It's literally being enlarged in my soul. And about a month after that, the Holy Ghost came to me again. And he said, the power of perpetual. So I'm here to tell you this power of which we're preaching, this power that you received when you were baptized with the Holy Ghost is manifest and employed and released through perpetual pursuit, through perpetual praise, and through perpetual purpose. I read somewhere that Chuck Norris 
has, I don't remember, it's five or six, one of the other black belts in different forms of martial arts. God doesn't come and teach you karate. He just comes and gives you power and authority over everything in the spirit world. But I want you to notice that nothing that God spoke was about perpetual power. It was about perpetual pursuit, perpetual praise, and perpetual purpose. But he didn't say anything to me about perpetual power. And that's because God's power can only be perpetuated when you continue to pursue God. If I could preach to the entire body of Christ that is alive in the world right now, do you know what I would tell them? I would say to the entire body of Christ, a lot of you prayed more when you were seeking the Holy Ghost than you have since you got the Holy Ghost. And I've contended for years that the reason God lets some people seek and seek and seek and press and press before he gives them the Holy Ghost because he's teaching them how to persevere in prayer. The word perpetual provides us with our first natural impediment to understanding the things of which we will speak today because nothing in this life is perpetual. I know that's not anything new to you. How many of you are still driving?